Good afternoon. It is, it is a joy to be here. I was reminded this week of a quote uh, that I heard in, um, in, at undergraduate at Boyce, and the quote was, um, I, at the time, I, I did not enjoy reading at all, uh, and the quote that was given to me was, you will be the same person in five years that you are today except for the people that you meet and the books that you read. And so I throw that quote at everybody um, that I know that does not enjoy reading. And, um, and it's usually geared toward that end, a, a push to encourage reading. But I can give you that quote this morning because I am truly grateful for this church and for the people here, and it has been since five years since I've been here, but I can, I'm fully confident that it is because of this church and the people within this church that have molded me. God has used to mold me and to shape me, and so it is uh, truly a joy uh, to be here. Um, as we dive into our text, I'll give you our text in just a moment. Uh, well, I'll go ahead and give it to you. It's Philippians 1. So if you have your Bible, just turn to Philippians 1. But as you're turning there, I want to lay a scenario before your eyes that I just want you to, to think on. But imagine for just a moment that, that you tell your kids for the very first time that you're going to Disney. And maybe you don't like Disney, but if you don't, just pretend that you do. And so you tell your kids that you're going to Disney. And so you go online and, and you buy all of your Disney gear and you, you load up uh, your suitcases. And on the way there, you, you listen to all of your favorite Disney theme songs. Uh, perhaps because of the length of the drive, you have downloaded some Disney movies for your kids to watch and you can reminisce on all those Disney classics that you grew up listening to. And then you finally, you get to Orlando and you, you see the welcome to Disney sign and, and then you arrive at the hotel and you, you walk into the hotel and you are just blown away by the staff and the amenities of the hotel. You, perhaps you get to your room and it's nicer than you thought it could be and everything is just perfect and you are so blown away that you never leave the hotel to actually go and experience the parks that sounds kind of preposterous but John Edwards remarked that Christians live like distracted travelers who stay at a hotel on their way to a destination but never move on to the place where they're heading. And I'm convinced that if we aren't careful, we can become so attached to our present lives and the pleasures therein that we can lose sight of the life that is to come. And so Paul, in his opening thoughts to the Philippians, uh, he points at his own life. And, and I believe that Paul encourages his readers to look to the life that is to come while at the same time urging them to remain steadfast in the life that they are in. 
And so I want us to read this together. We'll pick up in verse 18. We'll reference some before that, but we'll pick up in 18. And he says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage... Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray just real, real briefly. God, would you... Uh, glorify yourself this morning. Would you uh, make known who you are? Uh, would you um, do a work in our lives that we would love you more when we leave than when we first came in? In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing I want us to look at is this, this first portion, 18 through 26. And um, if, you, if you take notes, you might perhaps say, looking ahead while striving in the present. Paul is urging his readers to look ahead while still striving in the present. And so leading up to this point in the passage, Paul is mentioning that there are those who are preaching Christ with wrong motives. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And so leading up to this, Paul is mentioning that there are those who are preaching Christ with, with, in, with wrong motives. And, and Paul is rejoicing in the fact that the gospel is being proclaimed nonetheless. And so now Paul, beginning in this, starting in verse 18, he reasserts, he says, I rejoice that the gospel is being proclaimed, and I will, in future tense, I will rejoice. He then gives us the reason why he has the reason for rejoicing. He says uh, his deliverance will be brought about. And so he's rejoicing in this. The, the, he says, through their prayers and through the help of the Holy Spirit, he is confident in his deliverance. And so Paul, despite sitting in a prison cell, he has joy that is based on the knowledge of his deliverance. So some commentators understand this deliverance that Paul is talking about as a deliverance from, from prison. 
Paul had just mentioned prison, uh, his imprisonment in, in 12 through 14, but this deliverance could also mean deliverance in, in the ultimate sense or uh, eternal salvation, and his, he would be delivered by his death. But either way, whether speaking of the present or of the future, Paul wants the Philippians to know that even if he was to die and his plan to come see them again never happens he will be saved to eternal life by God, and, and in that there is joy. And Paul has this hope and this security in the gospel that as he looks ahead to the future and what is to come, it motivates him to continue living a life of holiness in the present. As I thought through this, I was reminded of my time living in Louisville, and, and I was working at the hospital, and I was transported patients from from one place to another and as I saw that job coming to an end I began to lose motivation I, I began not to move as quickly through the hospital we always had uh, every day you would walk into the office and you would see how many you would see who the leader was and and how many patients were transported that day but as I was leaving I didn't care about that as much why what are they going to do, fire me? And, and, and instead, I began to look to the future, and, and, and I began to take joy in what was to come, but I, I, I lost sight of living in the present. And, and in one sense, I kind of quit before I ever quit. And I kind of just, I, I coasted to the end. And, and Paul knows that his death is a reality, but instead of, of giving up or instead of coasting to the end, it is his prayer and hope that he will be able to, with all courage, to honor Christ with what body he has left. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he uses similar language when he says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run? But only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Paul recognizes that his race uh, could be about over, but he also understands that his race is not over yet, and so he still has running to do. And so Paul had considered the cost of following Jesus, and he had found that whether it is in his life or whether it is in his death, it was far better than anything else that this life had to offer. So much so that everything else in comparison he called rubbish later on in this book. So isn't it amazing that as we think of the life of Paul, as he faces death, Paul's concern is, is not living. I don't know about you, but if, if I am walking in the woods and I see one sign that says life and I see one sign that says certain death, I'm probably not going in the certain death direction. But Paul's concern is not in this life is not necessary. We, we try so hard not to die. But Paul's concern is, is not necessarily living but rather that his life would simply honor God. This was his goal. Whether it's by my life or whether it's by my death, my hope is that I glorify God with, with all that I have. And so Paul, as he nears death, he sees that to die for his sake would be far better than to continue in this earthly life. He sees his death as, as gain. 
In fact, in verse 23, he says, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He says that it would be far better for him to depart and to be with Christ. So he understands this reality, but he also desires and maybe expects to be released so that he can potentially come and see the church again and, and encourage them. And so we kind of have this tension perhaps where he desires to be with Christ, but remaining alive in the flesh would allow him to help strengthen and encourage the church that he loves. And so what we get is we get a picture of Paul modeling for the Philippians how to live in this life by, by looking ahead for the life that has come, by putting our hope in the life that is to come, but, but striving for the present. It, it's, this, it's this life that is to come that, that motivates him to live a life worthy of the gospel in the present. And then we have a call to remain steadfast. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So Paul is going to end this section of his letter with a, a call to remain steadfast in the faith. He says that whatever his deliverance is, whether his, deliver, whether his deliverance is uh, in this life or whether it's in his death, he wants them to live, he wants the church of uh, Philippi to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. The Greek can also be translated as only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. One commentary said the phrasing nicely captures Paul's play on words here as he remarks of the Philippians' citizenship in heaven. And so Philippi prided itself on being a part of the Roman colony that, that offered the honor and privilege of, of having this Roman citizenship. But here Paul is reminding them that they are to, they are to look to Christ. They're not, not to look to, to Caesar. Their allegiance is, is ultimately to Christ and, and not to Rome. And therefore, as Paul continues, they are to be a church united under the gospel. In verse seven or 27, I'm sorry, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So standing firm in, in one spirit. Standing firm in one spirit is to, is to be firmly committed in conviction. I have a child who I won't name. This particular child says that they love the Philadelphia Eagles. I am a diehard Philadelphia Eagle fan. I lived in Turkey for four years, and, and, and I, would, I would wake up in the middle of the night to watch a game. It was, it was, it was crazy. 
I had the opportunity to invite some locals into that fandom. But I have a child who says he's an Eagles fan, and I, I believe he is. But it's amazing that whenever the Eagles are losing by 7, 14 points, his conviction to who he's cheering for changes. <laughs> Oftentimes that dictates his bedtime. But standing firm in one spirit is to be firmly committed in conviction. For the church that Paul is writing to, this wouldn't be easy as we can see that standing firm in conviction will lead to opposition and suffering. And so the hostility that the Philippians would endure while living out a life worthy of the gospel was, was meant to destroy their faith and divide them from each other. But Paul, Paul encourages them to, to stand firm, stand firm in conviction, stand firm in the gospel. And then he says, striving together. When Christians stand firm in one spirit, the result will be seen in the way that they strive together in one accord for the faith of the gospel. So I'm reminded of, of a trained army. A trained army fights as a, as a single unit. They're not just off doing their own thing. They fight as a, a single unit side by side. The Philippians were, were called to strive together for the advancement of the gospel and for God's glory. And then he says, without being frightened. One commentator said that the Greek word here is used in Greek literature to describe horses that are startled or frightened in battle. Plutarch, a contemporary of Paul, used this word frightened in describing the death of a Roman soldier after his horse was frightened and threw the soldier to the ground and trampled him. And now Paul is using it to strengthen the Philippian church. He, he is telling them, he tells them not to be intimidated in any way, no matter how powerful the opposition is. And those who are standing firm in the Spirit cannot be shaken. So the unity that, that Paul describes here, these, these three things, um, standing firm in one Spirit, striving together without being frightened, these are, are a sign or an indicator of the incoming destruction of the church's adversaries, but also for their own salvation. Paul says that, that, that those who continue to rebel and those who continue to oppose God will ultimately be destroyed. But a life of unity and a life of, of striving for a life worthy of the gospel will serve as a sign of salvation to them. And so Paul, in the midst of, of, of his own situation, as he's, as he's writing this letter, he believes that God's sustaining grace amid opposition will assure the believers of their salvation. And so as they, as they seek to live a life worthy of the gospel, they, like Paul, will face opposition. But it's by God's sustaining grace that they can continue to, to strive together in unity and not be frightened by the adversary. But like Paul, have joy that they have the privilege to, to suffer for the sake of the one who suffered for them. They can count it joy as they, as they continue along and as they, as they uh, face the... the persecution that would come upon them they can they can face that persecution with joy 
And so I kind of think how, you know, how might this, this apply to us? I think it can apply to us in, in several different ways. I think first we might could say that, that prayer is needed. We know this to be true because Paul begins his letter by encouraging the Philippians that he was praying for them. Read with me in verse 3. In verse 3 he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. And then skip down to verse 9. He says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And so now Paul has confidence and joy in the prayers of the church on his behalf. Paul counted on the prayers of this church. Furthermore, he depended on their prayers. And so as he sits in a cell knowing that his life could soon end, he is not filled with anxiety, but he's filled with joy. It is because of the prayers of this church that Paul knows that he is not alone in prison. It is because of their prayers that Paul knows that if he goes to trial, he will not stand on trial alone. It is because of their prayer that if Paul is sentenced to die, he knows that he will not suffer and die alone. One person said, Paul counts on the prayers of his friends in the presence of the Spirit of Jesus Christ to fill the darkness of his prison with light and to turn his trial into deliverance. So Paul believes the courage that he has to live the life he is called to live has been brought about by the power of the Spirit and the faithful who pray for him. So may this remind us uh, to pray for one another. Not just pray for one another in, in this individual church, but to pray for the church as a whole. I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to, to live, to, to begin to live a comfortable life and forget that there are people out there who are suffering far greater than I ever will. And those followers of Christ need, need our prayers that, that they may have the same attitude like Paul. We recently, the, the IMB recently had all of its personnel that were serving in China, kicked out of China. And so that leaves only local believers. A lot of these local believers really, not necessarily depend, but they, but they walk side by side, these, these foreigners who have went over there to, to walk alongside them and, and to, to pour into them. We need to pray for these people. In Central Asia where I live, there are people who come to know Christ and coming to know Christ means their whole family is going to desert them. And so they begin to trust Christ knowing that their family is the church. And they need our prayers. They need us to daily be praying for them. So I encourage you to, to pray every day for this church for the church as a whole. Secondly, to live as Christ, to die as gain. For Paul, the goal of living 
was Christ. Gaining Christ is a way of, of expressing progressive experience of sanctification, growth and grace, or becoming more and more like Jesus. And so this is what it means to, to, to live as Christ. I remember as a youth pastor, I would often be recalled to this as I would share with my youth. I would say, uh, I would always ask them if, if they could go back to this same day a year ago. And if they were to compare this day a year ago with today, would they spiritually be the same person or would they be different? Would somebody be able to, if, if we were to look at their life a year ago and then fast forward and look at it today, would, would a non-believer, would, would, would there be any kind of difference? Would they notice that their prayer life has, has been strengthened? Would they notice that they desire God's word more? Every day that Paul lives until he dies and gains Christ in totality, he is, he is striving to become more like Christ, to put on Christ, to gain Christ. And likewise, as, as we put on Christ, we are encouraged to daily walk in Christ and therefore grow and mature each day. And then to make our lives count. This whole idea to live as Christ, to die as gain, it messes up the worldly culture striving for comfort in this life idea. We live in a culture that constantly puts before your eyes the need for a bigger home, a, a nicer and better car, a larger TV. I was watching TV for, um, uh, I, was, I, can't remember, I can't remember what I was watching, but I remember an advertisement that came up that promised... Um, it promised, you know, more happiness if I would buy into this um, additional TV subscription. And so this is constantly coming our way. If you want happiness, if you want joy, if you, you this is what you need. You need this, and that that is countercultural to to the message that Paul is giving. But if we aren't careful, we can fall into this trap, this lifestyle where we are living only for the comforts of this world and not for that, that, which, of that which is to come. This life of comfort can, can also, uh, we can think of it on a, on a spiritual level. Uh, growing up, I remember it was very much this, this checkbox Christian lifestyle. Where if we, if we went to church, we can mark it off. If we, if we read our Bible that morning, we can mark it off. I remember, remember struggling a few years ago where, where I was just, I was waking up and I was reading my Bible every morning, but I was doing it more out of habit than, I, than out of the, the joy of the Lord and out of the joy that I get to read God's word that was given to me. I believe this is what Edwards meant by a, dis, a distracted traveler. If we aren't careful, we can get into such a comfortable rhythm with our spirituality that we, we fail to, uh, to keep striving for greater maturity in the gospel. I know that, that all illustrations fall at some point. But do question is, is, is do, do you really want to miss out on on? on Disney because you spent the whole time in the hotel room. I remember a few years back I got to go to Disney. I got to take my kids to Disney. 
We got to the hotel room and then we got on the train and we went to the park and and it was it was it blew my mind the way that the between the the landscaping and I promise that that uh, I'm not crazy. You go to certain parts of the park and it smells different and and I don't know how they do it, but you take in the whole picture of of, of what it is and and you leave and you think, man, this is amazing. I can't imagine just just staying at the the hotel room the whole time. But God has gifted you this time in history to be alive, to know Him, to grow with Him, to, to spread the good news at your workplace, at your, uh, to your neighbors. And we don't need to miss these opportunities as we, as we look forward to the day that is to come, as we, as we look forward to the day that we will be united with Christ. We, we strive in the present to make Him known. Would you uh, pray with me? God, You are good to us. You love us despite ourselves. In our rebellion, You sought us out. You brought us to Yourself. And You clothed us in the righteousness of Christ. God, I pray that you would, every day that you would mold us into your image, that you would make us more like you, that you would uh, take away our sin, that we would, uh, you would instill in us a desire to, to love you uh, more every day. God, I pray that you would um, be with those who uh, are daily persecuted more than, more than we might be. But God, we also face persecutions of our own, so I pray that you would um, encourage us, that you would uh, give us boldness and strength to withstand persecution, that we would uh, continue to live in light of the future uh, resurrection that uh, you have promised. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, God, you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we can trust in you. We can look back to the past and we can see all the ways that you have been faithful to us and we can look forward and trust that you will continue to be faithful to us in the future and in the present. God, help us to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen.